Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rodney Evans. Hello, everyone. That sucked. Okay, why? What's the matter? Uh, I had problems with my screen where it was like, I couldn't see what I was looking at, and I was like... I can't see it. I can't see. All right, we're going again. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, Rodney Evans. Hello, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Murmur, the software startup that we founded in the pandemic. But before we unpack that, of course, we will check in. We will check in with a question you asked me before we started recording and we decided to do here instead, <laughs> which is when you are traveling for a vacation or for whatever purpose, are you a come home the morning of the last day person or a come home the night of the last day person? Come in hot. Uh, which are you? So I think. I generally prefer to come home in the evening because I'm I'm like a maximizer. So I want to have like the most time that I can have doing whatever it is that I was doing. And then I just come home in the evening, like go straight to bed. And then I kind of like wipe the slate clean. The next day I wake up, I'm regular home, Aaron, uh-huh. instead of whatever was going on. But as I've gotten older, I've like I've flirted with the other because I like the idea of like having the whole day to get, you know, reoriented. That's funny. I do feel like this is a thing that changes as you age for sure. Right. Um, I used to, when I hated my job, I was such a come home late person because right. I was like, I'm not going to like unpack on my time. I mean, yeah. I'm going to be like <laughs> tired on Monday. Cause like, fuck them. I don't need to come back to work rested, you know? So I was very like, let's, let's take the the flight that gets in at like 1am and I'll just go to work <laughs> wrecked in the morning. Now that I don't hate my job, I, I like the like, get home around one or two on Sunday yeah, and have Sunday evening not to do dumb house shit, but just to like really be super chill. Yeah. The peacefulness. Yeah. I feel like I get more of the like extended benefit of the time away if Sunday night doesn't feel like a total shit show. Yeah. I see that you're, you're selling me. All right. I'm, I'm with it. Well, when we take vacations again, we'll try to keep it. Wait, what's that? <laughs> when we go somewhere. Wait a second. Anyone. <laughs> what is that even about? I don't even remember. This is a lusty check-in question because it's like talking about the time when, you know? Like, <laughs> right. The time when we had to make these decisions about when to come home from like yeah. our international it's vacations. very nostalgic. Ooh, man. I'd love to have that problem right now. All right. So today we are going to talk about Murmur, or as I like to call it, Murmur, which is a new software company that you founded during this pandemic, you know, while you're just chilling at home. So let's start with your elevator pitch for Murmur. What is it? What does it do? Tell us why it's awesome. So essentially what we're trying to create is 
a system of record for working agreements. So everything that we argue about at work from process to policy to norms to roles to structures, all that stuff that we probably ought to talk about and write down somewhere and iterate over time as we grow and learn. We want to be a system that can hold that for you, that can help you to get your colleagues on board and in agreement with you. We actually refer to those things as agreements. And then and then check in over time. How's it going? Is it working? Is it serving? So a lot of the things that we touch on on the show, it's trying to become a bit of a backbone for that. I love that. I just thought of something that I'm going to say, and you can tell me if this is right. Okay. Okay. Employee handbooks are to bureaucracy as... Working agreements in Murmur are to self-organizing teams. Yeah, I like that. And in fact, I've had customer conversations recently with people that are like, I never wanted to do a handbook. Uh-huh. I would do this uh-huh. because it feels like a living thing and it feels like a modular thing. It's not from me to them. It's from everyone to everyone. And it is alive. Yes. Yes. And like anything else that we do in our work, it's participatory. It's iterative. It's iterative it's transparent. It is, I assume there are ways to clear agreements that are no longer useful or serving, et cetera. It is alive, which is how we want things in our system to be because our systems are alive. Uh, So that's very exciting. I want to start with asking you why you named it Murmur. I guess there's a few reasons for this. One is that I'm I'm always a fan of names for things that are a little bit empty vessel that like mm-hmm. have, you know, the ready, for example, like there's a lot of ways to interpret that, but I like it. It's easy to remember. It's short. And and so I wanted something similar that was short, that was memorable, that was easy to say. And that, and importantly, I mean, I, you know, I have this background way in my past around brand naming and trademark and all that kind of stuff. And so I was thinking in a very nerdy way right out of the get-go about like, what .com can I get? Mm -hmm. What trademark can I get? How's the SEO for the word that I'm thinking about? Which is really not the stuff of inspiration, but it is really important when you're starting something. And so what I noticed was the murmur.com was not in use. The Twitter handle was not in use. The SEO was fantastic because it was just like a bunch of 20-year-old articles about heart problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like the, the, It was just like this very empty space. And of course, the real reason, the, like, the spark of the idea was that I'm obsessed, as you know, with complex adaptive systems. And one of my favorite ones is the murmuration, the starlings in flight together, showing sort of that complex behavior that we can do things together without a leader and and I was like, well, murmuration's a lot. That's too long, <laughs> so right. that's not going to work. But murmur is interesting, and then it has this this tiny little inherent beauty that it's actually the same syllable twice. Which I it feels like cellar door to say you're just like murmur, you know? It's just fun. So I love it. That's awesome. I don't think I told you this. Someone who is a friend of the ready. Also, I was in an email exchange with recently, and she is a French speaker. And do you know about Murmur in French? I do not. Tell me Okay. She wrote me this amazing explanation, and I am not going to tell you all of it because I don't speak French and I'll I'll butcher it. And it'll also, when I speak French, I do so with a Spanish accent, which is both funny and terrifying. But (laughs) essentially, she, uh, she broke the word down and explained different pieces of it. And it kind of has a double meaning, but basically for, as she says, for a French person, when you're saying murmur, you're saying something like a whispering wall for mature people. 
what? which I kind of love. It's like <laughs> it's this place where the whisper of those in relation and in participation and in system are making things real and explicit. It's like the wall where you put the whispers. Yeah. How dope is that? Interesting. I love that. And it's funny because we also learned in our Slack yesterday, I think, or the day before, that mer in Danish means wall. Mm -hmm. And so it means wall wall. <laughs> Which I thought was sort of funny because I, I was thinking about you know agreements are a sort of a wall or or yeah. or maybe murmur is a wall against walls I don't know but I like I was playing with that I was thankful that it wasn't like a Chevy Nova circumstance yeah where it was like no go <laughs> you know but yeah every every time I hear from someone from from somewhere else I am learning all the different ways that it can be interpreted and so far so good yeah so far they're they're pretty nifty um so let's talk a little bit about the relationship between Murmur and the Ready. So obviously the Ready is your first child in love, but talk about this other this other thing that has been born. Well, I think even before the Ready was born, we kind of knew that we wanted a second child because, you know, from probably 10 years ago, we've been doing different forms of this work where we are inside organizations, we're helping them think about agreements and make agreements and change the way they work in, in sort of, you know, ways both big and small. And it's always been apparent to me that we were going to have a scale problem and a leverage problem. And of course we do. The good news is that it doesn't matter because there's enough work, enough people, enough growth, like, you know, there's abundance for the ready and companies like it. And that's fabulous. But also we go into a client and we work with 1,000 or 2,000 or 5,000 people, which feels like a ton. And there's always, you know, 75,000 people we never even talk to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is, that's just not going to cut it, right? So I've always known that we were going to need other levers on scale, you know, online courses, content, products, and then obviously software, which is the biggest lever of them all. But the problem was when to do it. And so, you know, I didn't have the capital when I started the ready to even think about it. I'm not an engineer by training, so I couldn't do it on my own time. And so it really boiled down to like sort of sit and wait. And then it felt like the market for software that holds a progressive opinion about people and work just has a very small market. Mm -hmm. And so that's not fundable. That's not exciting. That's not going to get you the support that you need. And so wait, 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 wait. And then finally, last year, there was a convergence of two things that I know you felt as well. The pandemic and what it brought in terms of change and remote work. And then the Black Lives Matter movement and an awareness of the importance of diversity and inclusion at work felt like this tipping point last year where there was space finally and there was conversation publicly about just like, the raw complexity of it all. Like, we just can't keep doing everything the way we've been doing it. We need to kind of get things back down to the studs and rebuild. And that combined with the fact that, you know, you and I both are used to being on the go. Mm -hmm. And I was just trapped in this room for months and months and months and months and months. And my mind wanders. Like, mm -hmm. I, it was just like, I got to do stuff. I got to do something creative. And it just made me get into this really weird generative headspace. And Murmur's not the only thing I tried to start. I tried to spin a bunch of plates and then it was like the one that worked out. Mm -hmm. So who's going to use Murmur? So this is the most interesting debate within Murmur right now and around Murmur right now. We, we know from our work at The Ready and folks on this podcast know that you know changing the way you work, getting away from bureaucracy, having more human and adaptive ways of working 
is kind of an everyone problem. Yes. Like it's, it's, you know, there is no scale or country or industry where you're like, ah, they're fine. So it is, it's everywhere, but you can't start a company everywhere. You have to kind of pick a target. And so what we've learned is that essentially because of the, the needs and demands of large enterprise, which is often the Ready's customer, we can't really serve them at scale yet. So it's going to start with a very particular target. And we actually just updated this on the site the other day. So I'm curious to see how it lands with you. But we said, Murmur is for startups, and you can sort of say in air quotes or people that think like startups, who care enough about the way they work to write it down. And that's the original target. Mm -hmm. So if you care enough about your culture and your way of working that you're like, I would actually spend some time with my team in conversation, and you're less than 150 people, that's going to be our first port of call. And that doesn't exclude big business, but it would be looking for pockets where they have the scale, but they're isolated. So mm-hmm. I was talking to someone at a big fast food company the other day, and they were saying, like, we have a, a machine intelligence team or a machine learning team in the Valley that's like 50 people completely separate of the company. They would love this. And I was like, yeah, that's actually perfect. That's a perfect use case for it. Enough control to play with your own destiny and a, a limited enough scale that you're not going to ask us for you know, security features that only we're going to have in year five. Mm-hmm. I mean, it certainly makes a lot of sense to me at the entry point. It doesn't solve our scaling challenge at that size, which is, you know, which is the rub, right? Because the way that we do this work as practitioners and the way that a lot of others out in the market are doing this work, it's just like, you know, the hand to hand nature of being two or three people in as you totally. said, like a thousand person system is incredibly difficult. And I think our most, you know, our most progressed, frankly, smartest clients see that like so quickly, like, Oh, totally. In, in the best way, like in like my, you know, you, you know who my favorite client ever was and she knows too. <laughs> and in like month two, she was just like, Oh, so there's a tooling gap. And I was like, yes, yes. You know, <laughs> like, because like the shit that they have approved is not going to do it. Yeah, we all are trying to like hack it together with like Notion and Trello and Docs and shit. And anybody who's trying to do this work at scale pretty quickly is like, oh, there's no well for everyone to go to with their bucket. That's right. And like, where's like, do you guys have the well? And we're like, uh, no. Nobody has the platform. Uh oh. So this has got to be the well eventually. And there is hope because you know not only not only do we already have interest at that scale, we have plenty of that. Yeah. But we also know that there are tools out there in in the technology space that would allow us to just like plug into some of the things we need to work for larger organizations. Mm-hmm. So we actually think we can get there pretty fast, faster yeah. than you would think, but we just can't start there. So yeah. yeah, the first the first hundred teams on Murmur will probably not be Fortune 100, but you know, the thousandth team definitely will be. Yeah, which is awesome because by yeah. then it's going to be humming. And the way that we do this work is at the team level. So it makes a ton of sense to be working at that scale because if if it can't be figured out and living and functional and useful at the team scale, it, it can't work at team of teams or organizational scale anyway. 100%. And every layer that you go out like that, the complexity grows in ways that you do not anticipate. Of course. Yeah, not to mention then, you know, as we've as we've talked on this show and busted on a million times, like then when once we're now dealing with like enterprise IT, the the whole thing gets much more difficult. OMG. OMG. So we've talked a little bit about 
how this started and why it started. What the fuck is it? And what does it actually do? <laughs> so we we sort of think of it like a sandwich. For those of you that are familiar with GitHub, it is a lot like GitHub for working agreements, right? We're creating a, a kind of a version control system for sharing and making and, and tracking agreements. But the way that works as a sandwich is that the first piece of bread is I got to make an agreement. I got to make something to propose to my team, whether I'm the boss or whether I'm someone at the edge, someone new, someone who's been here forever. Somebody has to have an idea. There's a tension that's holding them back. They want to create something new, a new way of being or working. So we need an agreement. And we're thinking about that in three ways. One is, of course, from scratch. If you want to write, you need to be able to write. So in a way, we're building a doc editor just like anybody else. Mm -hmm. But I think that's huge friction, actually. Even as someone who has written hundreds of agreements in my tenure, I'd rather not start from scratch if I don't have to. Of course. Who wants to start from scratch? No. Well, I mean, I don't know. Hemingway? I'm not sure. So so what we're doing is we're also adding a suite of templates that are mm -hmm. just like proven templates. Think of it as a Mad Lib for a working agreement. So you can be like, I want to create a new role on my team. Where should I start? Here's sure. the template. It's going to take you 90 seconds instead of 90 minutes. Like just get it in there. And then the third option, which is the most exciting to me, is public agreements. So we actually just made one, the first of one of our agreements public last night. And it's very easy to toggle any agreement in the system to be public to the world or public mm -hmm. to the org or just private to your team. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to just take someone else's policy and make it your own and customize it, that's an option. And I have been joking with a lot of potential customers, you know, why write your own vacation policy when you can just steal Patagonia's? Sure. Like it, they, they nailed it. Yeah. Like it's, you know, there's no need to go back for more. So, so I think that that's the first piece. So that's, that's slice of bread. Number one. Then there is the the meat of the sandwich or the seitan or the tofu or whatever. Maybe it's a BLT, whatever you're going to do. That is, how do I actually get that agreement from my mind all the way through to everyone being agreed on it? Mm -hmm. And so Murmur is based on consent, which we've talked about a lot on the show. And it's the idea that everyone agrees that it's safe to try. Everyone, It's within the range of tolerance for everybody on the team. And so what we'll do is when you're done and you propose that agreement, it will ping everyone on your team hey, there's something ready for you to look at. And it will work you through a kind of a generalized version of consent-based decision-making. So mm -hmm. it's got some flavor of sociocracy, holacracy, you know, different ways of working baked in. But we've had to simplify the language, remove as much dogma as possible so that someone can come into this totally cold and be like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. No training. Yeah. So it's a whole different animal. So the first round is about, we call it understand. It's ask questions, understand the damn thing. Do you, mm -hmm. do you know where they're coming from? Not do you love it, not do you like it, but do you understand it? The second round is called improve. Let's make it better together. So suggestions are made, reactions are offered, the proposer has a chance to update it or change it, clarify what they're saying, you know, amend it, explain themselves. And then we move into the finalize round. And finalize is like, is it objectionable? Is it safe to try? Can we consent to it? And again, everybody has a chance to say they're in or they're out. If they object, it'll walk them through the process of making it work for them. And then out the other end, it comes. And we okay. actually just launched this week. I'm very excited about this very silly feature. But we launched the confetti cannon. So <laughs> when you get consent from everyone on the team, murmur confetti Woo! falls from the yeah, sky. Nice. And it is chef's kiss. I'm so, sure. so that's my little dopamine hit for the week. But in any case, now you've got this agreement that's done. 
And this is usually where every other system fails, as you know. So like you put it in Notion, you put it in Google Docs, you put it in, in Drive or Dropbox paper, and it's written and everybody loves it. And then it goes into the drawer to die. Right. And like right. we either forget where it is or we don't update it or whatever. And so there are two things that you set on an agreement in Murmur that make it different this time around. And this is the other piece of the bread. There's an expiration date for every mm-hmm. agreement that's somewhere between one week and one year. So mm-hmm. everything has a point where it's like we have to reconsider this. Nothing gets to just sit in the drawer for four years and forget who made it. So it'll come back to the group when the time comes and say, hey, everybody. Are we going to renew this, adapt it and change it or get rid of it? And everybody has to make a choice. And so that's that's one thing that kind of keeps the the org debt to a minimum. And then the last thing that's sort of part of that other slice of bread is the feedback rhythm. So just like setting the expiration date, you also set a frequency for feedback and it's going to ask the the team are we doing this? Number one, which we mm-hmm. call follow through. How are we feeling about it? Are we happy with it? Which is satisfaction. And then what are we learning in an open-ended verbatim? So you kind of get like two, you know, one to five star ratings. And then mm-hmm. a like, what are we learning? What are we seeing? And so that gets collected and aggregated all the time. So you can literally look into your company's operating system, handbook, murmur account and see like, What's really high satisfaction? What's really low? What's easy to implement? What's really hard to follow through and implement? You know, what are the things that are growing the fastest? What are the things that are not being adapted by other teams? You know, what are the like most popular verbatims in the system about what we're learning, et cetera, and start to do some like bigger picture meta strategy, right? Nice. Like what what am I going to talk about at the all hands? Yeah. I don't know. How about the three agreements that have five out of five follow through and satisfaction and are spreading across teams like wildfire? Yeah, like highlight that or Maybe, you know, who should I help this week as a coach? I don't know. Maybe the team that has really low SAT scores on all their stuff <laughs> and it's just like trying to fight the good fight, but they can't get it done. So that's as short as I can possibly say it without losing it. That is like the the frame of reference for the first MVP. Nice. That's super exciting and unsurprisingly thoughtful. The couple of things that I just want to like point out that I find as a practitioner to be pretty engaging and thrilling and I do not use that word lightly, is one, (laughs) you know, we have long been, I have, I will not speak for others. I have long been a pretty staunch advocate of social pressure in terms Mm. of creating change. And, you know, I think sometimes when we start working with clients, they think that they meet me and they think like, oh, she's like this sort of like airy, fairy, woke, coachy person. (laughs) And then they're like, how do we get people to do these things? And I'm like, well, transparency and a little public shame, never heard anybody in terms of progress. And so- I feel like that is, and I, and I say this in the most loving way, but it's baked into murmur, which is basically, if you give a fuck, go write your improvement or your suggestion. If you don't, or you don't care enough to prioritize this, the train is going to leave without you. So right. make your voice heard or don't. Again, agency, autonomy, self-management, totally up to you, bro. But if you miss it, you miss it. And I think that's a really important part of participatory change, because even if all the theory is there, when the mechanism doesn't work quite right, we just get stuck. And we get a backlog of proposals. And we have a lot of time in governance type meetings that people talk a lot about things that are not actually that important. It's like a lot of airtime for something that's going to have minimal impact. And I feel like murmur can and will shift that dynamic to be like, 
making participatory change through agreements doesn't have to be this really heavy, very formalized, very interstitial thing. It can be something that is more cyclical and smaller and lower lift and living. Yeah. And what's really weird for us, I think, is that it's asynchronous. So you can do it live, but it'll be the first time that the ready has really started to do governance not live mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. Sure. And and it's funny, you, you talked about like proposals kind of dying on the cutting room floor. One of the wildest things about this platform that we have started to experience this week is it's time driven. So if the time for the round runs out, the round is over. Of course. And not participating of course, as, it should as, be. as blanket consent. And so when you actually propose something in the, in the system, unlike if you do it in Slack or like in an email, 72 hours later, if nobody said no, it's go. Like it's alive. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that is, that's hopefully very disruptive because the people that usually do the passive aggressive handset are going to be like, wait, me sitting on my hands now means I'm, I'm tacit approving this. Yes. And I have to play. And so I, I, I'm super curious to see how that shakes up some of those normal dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think from a, from a participation lens and from an equity lens, that's also really important because a lot of times the power to stop something right. is held by one specific group of people. And um, a team lead at one of our former clients once said to me when she really started to get into doing governance stuff, she was like, oh, there's like a lot of power of the pen. Like if mm-hmm. you're the one who actually writes the proposal and brings it, yeah. you hold something that nobody else who's participating holds basically. And interestingly, like she recognized that before a lot of other people did. And (laughs) in moments it became a little bit of like a space race in a great way where it was like, if there were two opposing ideas around how an agreement should roll, it was kind of like whoever got to the meeting with their proposal first and got it processed was more likely to get their way. Because if the bar is safe to try the first crack, usually a version of the first crack gets through. That's right. And so I just, I like that this feels like a way to do that that is just less heavy and and just faster. Yeah. You know? And ideally, like, people learn to hold it a little bit lighter, too, because the expiration date, the ability to see the feedback, the ability to steer takes away a lot of the fear Yeah, of, like, this is forever. This has to be perfect. No, it doesn't. If it sucks, you'll know in two weeks when the first feedback comes in. A, yeah. And B, anybody can propose an edit at any time. Yeah. So like if you really hate it, just go fix it. And then and then from there it's like, all right, well then can we just have a little fun with this? Like can right. we be more experimental and a little bit lighter about it? I hope so. So we'll see. So given that Murmur is effectively doing work asynchronously that we often do in real life, hmm. what do you see as some of the biggest differences and how have you thought about that as the product has evolved? Well, the first thing to say about this is a massive, we don't know. So uh, like we're the only team on it right now. You know, we're just starting to feather in others. And so the the big question with Murmur is, are we successfully able to automate a thing that requires, as you know, pretty sophisticated facilitation mm-hmm. and, you know, to get it to work in a, in a normal world? Now, one of the things we knew right away is like we had to play with language. So the way we refer to what to do and when to do it has to be as accessible and straightforward as possible. 
which means you don't get to have as much fun as our category likes to have with like the wokest possible language, which is okay, but it's like an interesting, you know, an interesting trade off. And then a lot of things that happen in person, there's opportunities for coaching and nudging that are hard to do with technology. So Mm -hmm. like when someone does bring a bad objection, it's pretty easy to like unpack it with them in front of everyone and everybody has a learning moment and it's great. And just like the fidelity of communication, you know, it's high bandwidth to be live. Like Mm -hmm. everybody's getting the maximum amount of information, body language, et cetera. When you're doing it in a doc, it's pretty easy to screw it up. So we've been thinking a lot about how do we break the pieces up into their requisite parts? How do we use prompts that are really prominently displayed to get people to know what what they're doing now? And then over time, how do we start to use like more of a machine intelligence to pay attention to what you're writing or doing and help you not in a like clippy kind of a way, but in a way <laughs> no. where it's just like, yeah, maybe I, don't I know. see you're writing um, an agreement. Yeah. <laughs> can I help? No, it'll but but imagine, you know, you start to type something and it can actually play with the like the semantics of and the language you're using and say, "Hey, it looks like you're trying to do this or it looks mm-hmm. like you're feeling that. Can I, you know, can I help you unpack that or walk through that?" And a lot of the a lot of the tests that we give people or or frameworks that we give people are helpful even if they're automated. So, I mean, you can do the five whys with your iPhone app. You don't have to do it with, a, you know, a guru on a mountaintop and it's still helpful. So we're trying to bake in as much of that as possible. And then where it's necessary, we're thinking about ways to actually leave the app. Mm-hmm. So if you get to a point where the conflict is too hot, the the lack of clarity is too high, whatever it is, are there little off ramps to like, hey, maybe y'all should go have a Zoom meeting and just, you know, have a human conversation. Like we don't want to deny the fact that that's necessary ever. Right. We just want to minimize it to the only only when it's really, truly needed kind of space. It seems like John's about to quit. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe it's time to shoot a quick Slack <laughs> <Coffee>? message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that is definitely uh, on our minds and we'll, you know, test and learn into that. But the way I've been thinking about the whole thing is basically like there's 100% of all agreements that can try to go through the system. And it's about optimizing for like, what percentage can we get all the way through without making this thing so overburdened mm-hmm. and so complex? Yeah. Can we get 80%? Can we get 90%? Can we yeah. get 95%? And then what do we do with the others? So that'll be, I mean, that's the work of the next year is basically like how many get through and happily and then how, like, how do we jack that up? Well, and the reality is most organizations that I've worked with, large and small, they, they don't have the most foundational agreements in place. So if they are to the point where they have 80% of the most common and necessary agreements, first of all, they're going to be better than 100% of people who don't. <laughs> yeah. And secondly, they're probably then going to be at a level of sophistication in terms of working agreements that they can use a blank sheet of paper, a blank template to be doing more nuanced work themselves. Totally. So like, to me, I know that you have big aspirations and big ambitions. And there's just like a giant foundational hole to fill in terms of um, people seeing the need for this, doing it properly, and starting with things that are principled aligned. I think our, our standards are too high. But the idea that like, you know, if a team doesn't have an agreement about its mission and then it makes one and everyone consents and is on board and that stays fresh. Yeah. That's probably worth the price of admission all by itself. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, and then but then there's 20 others you could do. So, yeah, we'll see. I, I'm I'm super, super curious to see 
where and how the process breaks when it is asynchronous and without facilitation. I can't um, wait but, to break it. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so let's talk a little bit about you as the founder of this thing. We've had some interesting conversations lately. What are some of the biggest differences that you've found between starting this and starting a service business, which you've done a couple of times in your past? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is I'm back to I'm back to beginner's mind because I don't know what I'm doing. So, so that's been really fun and challenging. But like every activity, every major activity of starting something has come with new learning to do. Right? I've never raised money before. I've always bootstrapped. I've never worked in product before. It's always been services. And so every single step, it's like, oh, now it's time to recruit engineers. Mm. Is recruiting engineers like recruiting consultants? Apparently not. And so it's like, you know, back to the chalkboard to like figure out what are the new the new lessons and the new trade-offs and the new even overs. So I've been trying to just lean into that. And and the main lesson has been, you know, you're gonna make mistakes and this is gonna take longer than you thought it would. But I've also felt really fortunate because a lot of the values and messages and ways of working that we have cooked up on the ready side are really applicable on on all sides as we know. And also they're attractive to people that have been working in other industries. Mm-hmm. So while someone might look at me and be like, well, you're not a technical founder and you have never built software before, they also look at me and they're like, oh, wow, you care about things that most other software founders don't. Mm-hmm. And so if I care about that stuff too, and I want to be treated differently and have a different kind of power and a different you know, identity in a system than I would in a regular Valley company, then this might be a good risk for me. Mm-hmm. And so I've just had to learn on like what to lean on there. Like what what's the reason to do this with us and with me instead of do, you know, the next whatever. And so that's that's definitely been been eye-opening. And I think the last thing is just the nature of the work is different. And so some of the things that we do on our side have to be molded a little bit. So and, and also are just so scale dependent. So like are you know, do we need an action meeting or not? What does it look like? Yeah, we probably do, but then like not everybody understands what it's for. A lot of people are used to working asynchronously. And so the idea of a meeting is like, why do we need a meeting when we can do all this asynchronously? Mm-hmm. So it's been a lot of interesting challenges of unpacking like what what's the right time to deploy the right practice, which has given me more empathy for clients in terms of like, yeah, stages, scales, and industries they don't mean that none of these principles apply. Sure. But they do mean that like, you know, there's there's a time and a place and a version of each thing that's going to work best. And I think sometimes I'm guilty of trying to just kind of rubber stamp the world with the stuff that works well for the ready. And so it's been that's been uniquely helpful. And how would you say murmur fits in terms of your own ambitions? Like why this why not just, you know, the Ready's, the Ready's a great company. We're growing. Things are going super well. Why not just keep doubling down on that? And why, you know, split your time and attention? Well, I think a few reasons. The first one is I was kind of trying to do like a regret minimization framework <laughs> and just be like, what what have I not tried? Because, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm getting longer in the tooth. I was like, what have I not tried? that I want to 
have say I did or tried, you know, yeah. whether I succeed or fail, like what, what have I not done? And this was definitely on the list, like raising money from people that are not me, making a go of building something that's, you know, truly scaled, making a difference in a different way, and just working in an industry that I haven't worked in. It all felt attractive because it was like, you know, succeed or fail, at least then I can say I did it. Mm-hmm. And I tried it. And and this this year, I don't know, like the mortality of this year just like really stuck me with like, what do I want to try that I haven't tried? And and the unique thing about the Ready is, first of all, you know, it it is a company that mostly runs itself. It still requires different kinds of, you know, leadership and innovation and nudging, as you know, and do a lot of. But it isn't like it doesn't require like a 40 hour dedicated COO. So there's space there. And, and truth be told, I think when it comes to services, the part that I'm good at is, is sort of like bookends on scale. Like I'm really good at starting a services business. And I think I'm reasonably good at being like a spokesperson for one. But I don't know that I'm even the guy for like to, to really drive like that middle chapter. Mm. And so I instinctually was already making space. And then it was like, yeah, I just... I think I think the system will find ways to grow itself better without me in the way. And it has. So I guess, <laughs> I guess that's good. That's good. Um, but yeah, but it, for me, it was like, yeah, minimize regret, try something new, get back in a learning mode, you know, like, and, and try to make sure that you're playing in the periods of growth that are actually your gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, exciting. Yeah. I'm no, glad. It's not quite a bumper sticker, but. I'm glad you're doing it. You'll, you'll make it into a t-shirt. I have no <laughs> doubt by the time this episode comes out. Okay. So one thing that brought up as you were talking about the differences between a product company and a services company and the kinds of people that you're hiring and the kinds of orientations they have is this thing. I have a feeling that Murmur is one of those products that not everyone intuitively knows they need. And so having been around a lot of technology startups in my career, where a lot of the development is very customer oriented, and it's very customer feedback oriented, and it's very like product market fit oriented. I feel like Murmur is in a bit of a space of like the thing that everyone really actually needs, but is not a gaping hole in most people's orientation around work because it's not the the way that we have traditionally worked, even though the way we've worked is broken and anyone who listens to this podcast knows that. So how are you thinking about that? And how's the team, like when you bring in engineers, how's the team thinking about the fact that you are shaping an offering that people may not know they need? <laughs> it's so true. Basically, that like everybody has the pain and nobody knows about painkillers. Yes. And so it's just like, yeah, my knee hurts. What's for lunch? Like th- there's just no sense. What's fascinating is in the early user tests that we have done with anonymous people, the main reaction to this is like, what is this? I don't get it. And then 60 seconds later, wait, why doesn't this exist yet? Right. And that's basically the journey everyone's going on is like, this is not something they're looking for. And then once they hear the whole story, the whole arc, they're like, how can it be 2021? And this is not a thing. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. it's like it's there in plain sight. And so that means that our job is about this discovery journey. Like our job is about telling a story that hooks people on their pain, on their frustration 
and then helps them to just give us the one to two minutes to think deeply about what might help. And then are they willing to try? And what's crazy is, you know, it's not, it's not going to be for everybody for sure. But, but a lot of people get through that first experience and they're like, all right, yeah, I'll like, I'll, I'll sign up. Like, where do I, where do I do this? (laughs) And so that is the, that's the work ahead. And that's why we're building the wait list right now. So we have a lot of learning to do about like, what is that first mile of finding out onboarding and getting to yes and Mm -hmm. getting to like, I get it and I see the power of it. So we are, I think as of today, we're at like 750 people on the wait list, which is so cool. And it's, it's so cool because the thing we always talk about internally is it's not 750 people. It's 750 teams that are behind those people. And so there's a lot of folks that don't even know they're about to have this experience. Yes. But the, but the, you know, firecracker on their team is like about to send them a proposal. So that's, that's the name of the game. And I know that this audience, our audience is, you know, the most early adopter, most like bout it group in the world. So if you haven't signed up, you definitely should, because if you do it now, you'll be getting access before it's a public thing. And also because you've been listening, you get this. And so you can actually tell us the stuff we need to know. We we want our first group of users to be a little bit more insider so that mm-hmm. we can at least make it work for us. Yeah. And then we can start to translate how to make it work for people that are not sweating the future of work and, you know, everybody else. So where can all of our nerds go sign up? Well, that's the fun thing. Back to your original question about the name. It's murmur.com. <laughs> So we, yeah, I, I bit the bullet knowing that it was available. I reached out before we did anything and I was like, Hey, you know, is this for sale? And they quoted this really large number, like a number that would buy a very nice car. And I was just like, should I do it? But my sense was if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And if it does work later on, this thing is going to be six figures. And so let's just, let's just do it. So it's murmur.com and you can join the wait list. There's a million different places to do it. And then, of course, you can always email us, podcast at theready.com if you want to talk to me or Rodney about it. You know, full full disclaimer, Rodney is also an investor and shareholder <laughs> in the company. So we're we're in this together and, and we're going to try to make a go of it. And uh, that seems like a pretty good place to draw things to a close. Until next time. If you like what you're hearing and like me interviewing Aaron, you know, that was fun. That was the first. We could flip it. <laughs> you're going to interview me about dog rearing. Um, A review would mean so much to us. We have been told by a few listeners lately that you cannot review us on Spotify, which we did know. Please go (laughs) review us on Apple or somewhere else. Where else? Just Apple. Just Apple. They're the only game in town. No one else cares what you think. Only Apple. (laughs) We care what you think. So please go review us on Apple um, or forward our show to someone who needs it. And of course, as always, a quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. He'll have his work cut out for him on this episode. Uh, Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us, as I said, by emailing podcast at theready.com. As for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. <laughs>